Tonight I want to share with you uh, some of the story of the crucifixion of Jesus. And I'd, I'd like to do it by uh, acting as if I were a character uh, in the story. And uh, this is something I do occasionally. And uh, I, I just a couple of ground rules before we get going. First of all, I wasn't there. Uh, I have taken, in some places, a little bit of creative license. I hope that is uh, fair to the text, that is drawn out of the text rather than me just trying to make it say whatever I want it to say. But pay attention to the characters, uh, to, to what they do, to how they feel, uh, to how the things that they go through actually uh, affect them and start to transform them. Uh, because God has chosen to give us, uh, if you look at your Bible, about 70% of it is stories. Because what God is doing in our lives isn't just something that we hold up in our heads, not just something that we, we believe, but it's something that we actually live. And some parts of it are really best expressed by showing how people lived it. So, let me share it with you tonight. There are rules to the world that we live in. You know that, right? There are all sorts of rules to the world that we live in. You know, some people make it out to be that there, there are rules that we abide by because someone's watching out to make sure we do it right. Like, you know, goodness and, and, and evil are really things that we need to be afraid of. But that's not really how the world works, is it? It can't be. You know the rule that I found to be true? You scratch my back, I scratch yours. And vice versa. If you want to get ahead in this world, it's all about making deals with the right people, isn't it? I would know. I, Pontius Pilate, was the prefect of Judea. I was Rome to a conquered people. I exercised power over, over them however I wanted to, and I had the swords behind me to back it up. And if you want something from me, you better be able to give something back. Quid pro quo. Because that's how the world works. But let me tell you a story. It was while I was prefect of Judea. I was there over a decade. And I saw a lot of things in, in my time there. You know, the, the Jews who live in Judea, they weren't very happy to be conquered people under Rome. Well, too bad. <laughs> Get stronger, right? And the Jews every once in a while would get upset about something that I did. There was this one time, as a matter of fact, where I brought soldiers into Jerusalem, the capital, the ancient capital of the Jewish people. And when I did that, I brought the imperial standard and an image of Caesar, who some people say is a god. And you know, those Jews, they were so angry that I brought an image into Jerusalem. That they tried to stop it. They tried to fight. The rabble tried to fight the best trained army in the entire world. The army that had rolled over the world. The army that had rolled over them. 
Well, they thought that they could get away with it. And I'll tell you, I was this close to slaughtering the whole lot of them. But I realized, you know, life is often a delicate balance, right? You have to, you have to make sure you make the right people happy so that they'll make you happy. See, all those Jews, they lined up when they said they'd rather die than have me bring those standards into, the, into Jerusalem. And they pulled back the shirts around their necks as if to prepare them for the sword that would come and kill them. I have to tell you, I was, I was impressed in some ways. Impressed that they were so devoted to the things that they believed. They believed stupid things, but they believed him. And I thought, I can use that. So I let him be. I didn't kill him. Another time, I was, uh, I was building an aqueduct to bring water into Jerusalem. I was doing a good thing for them. And you know what? They couldn't appreciate it. They were angry because I took some of the money out of their temple for their God. Well, who is the real God? Let me ask you that. Has your God been able to keep us out of your land? Not very afraid of their God. And again, the people came together to protest. And so I hid my soldiers all throughout the crowd, their weapons under their cloaks. And when I gave the signal, all of the soldiers came out and started just thrashing the crowds. Now they went a little bit overboard. Because, you know, if you're going to be a ruler, you need people to rule. But I got my way. See, the, the thing about life is not being good or, or being bad. It's doing what works. Being a pragmatist. That's the most important thing. But let me tell you one more story. It's about halfway through my time in Judea. And one morning early, early in the morning, you know, my office hours, so to speak, begin at daybreak. I get up early. I work early. But let me tell you, those Jewish leaders were pushing me that day. They came too early. Not only did they come too early, but it was the day before one of their festivals. And there's something about their, their purity laws. They couldn't come into my palace because it would pollute them. I would pollute them. They would pollute me. But they wouldn't come in. I had to go out to them. I was already pretty upset about that. And they brought this man to me and they said, we want you to judge him. And I said, I'm busy doing anything but this. Go judge him yourselves. They said, no. No, because we can't sentence him to death. Only you can. And I thought, ah, they want something from me. And what's the rule? You scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. They want something from you. And when someone wants something from you, you've got them right where you want them. So I brought Jesus in, this man Jesus that they were accusing. And I talked to him and I said, is it true that you say you're the king of the Jews? Now, let me ask you, as the representative of Rome in Judea, do you appreciate 
kings appearing? No, because they challenge Rome's authority, which means they challenge your authority. So we deal pretty harshly with those people. We have a practice called crucifixion. Are you familiar with it? It's where we we take a, a big post of wood and then we, we attach a crossbar to someone's arms or, or shoulders. Sometimes we do it by just tying, tying the crossbar onto their arms as they carry it to the place where we will execute them. Other times, if we're really angry, we'll pull out the nails and we'll nail them to the cross. It is the most humiliating death, the most painful death that anyone could have dreamed up. Some of our philosophers in Rome were horrified by what we were doing, but you know what? What I care about is results. And the cross gets results. So are you really the king of the Jews, Jesus? And he said, who told you that? People don't talk to me that way. Who told you that? Was it the people outside? Well, yeah, that's who it was. Is that who you are? You have said so. What a strange thing to say. You have said so. The implication is, he didn't say so. Then he went on, he said, But my kingdom, it's not of this world. Otherwise, you'd see my followers out there with swords and clubs. They'd be ready to fight. And you know what? This man makes sense, doesn't he? He doesn't have any followers out there. He just has an angry mob who wants something. So here's here's the deal as I see it so far. Jesus is, you know, he started talking about truth. Truth. You know who talks about truth, don't you? Philosophers in their ivory towers. Religious people waiting for their gods to do for them what they can't do for themselves. He says, my job is to be the truth and to tell the truth. And everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And I said, Jesus, you're talking to the wrong man. (laughs) Truth doesn't work. Truth doesn't accomplish anything. Truth is what gets in the way of what you want. I'm interested in what works. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And you know what? There are a lot of people out there who I think are willing willing to take care of that itch for me. Now, Jesus, of course, was innocent. It was clear from the moment that Jesus came in. He's just some guy that those people out there were jealous of. They were angry because he was in their way, because he didn't scratch their backs. And so I brought Jesus back out. I said, there's nothing wrong with this guy that I can see. Are you sure? Now, think about what I'm doing here. Right? You scratch my back, I scratch yours. What'll you give me? What'll you give me? Because I don't care about truth. I don't care about making sure everyone gets justice. I care about there being enough justice so we've got an orderly society. 
And if a few innocent people get crushed along the way, well, that's just the way of the world. Too bad for them. Should have scratched some more backs. But I had another problem. Because you see, it wasn't just a crowd outside who wanted, wanted Jesus executed. They were starting to turn into a mob. And we hate mobs as Romans. We hate them. And I don't just mean call out the soldiers and kill all the people that we hate. I mean Caesar hates to hear about mobs in his kingdom. Because you know what that means? It means that his kingdom isn't stable and safe and secure. So if I'm going to keep Caesar happy so he will keep me happy, I have to keep this situation from blowing out of control. I've got to find a way to get what I want by giving them what they want. And I need to get as much as I can out of the deal. Well, the Jews wouldn't take Jesus back. So I went and I had him flogged. If they weren't satisfied with me just saying, well, I talked to him, can I, can I pardon him? As a matter of fact, the Jews had a, a tradition. <laughs> the Jews had a tradition. They wouldn't have any traditions that we didn't allow them to have. We allowed them to have a tradition of having a prisoner pardoned at the Passover, at their festival, their feast. It's a way of keeping them happy. And I thought maybe we can get away with just a pardon here. Because then he'll still be, Jesus will still be ashamed and humiliated. Because it means he was guilty. And we let him off because he wasn't a big enough deal. But all the people outside, they started saying, Give us, give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. A bandit. A no good. A nothing. I thought they must really hate this Jesus. And on the one hand, that's good for me because that means they want it more. But on the other, it's harder because they're going to go farther to get it. So I brought Jesus in, and like I said, I had him flogged. And a flogging is awful. It's very few people come back for another one. Let's just put it that way. There's no limit on how much we can beat them. There's no limit on how long we can flog them. We just go until we're tired of it. And by that time, people may already be dead. Well, Jesus was still alive, and I had him brought back out in front of the crowd and said, look, I've had him flogged. Is that enough? And it wasn't. And I said, well, go crucify him yourselves. I was really turning the screws on him. Do you see what I did? Because if they crucified him themselves, they would be criminals as well. I reminded him, who's in charge? Who's the one who can give them what they want without the soldiers coming out later to clean up the mess? And so, the Jews still wanted him crucified. And I had, went back in and I had another conversation with Jesus. Don't you understand? I have, I have the power of life and death over you. When are you going to talk about scratching my back? And Jesus said, you would have no power unless it was given to you from on high. I thought, wait a minute, who, who is this man? Who is he to be talking about on high? He can't know Caesar. Who is he talking about? 
And all the while, the Jews are still shouting at me. And they said something that made my hair stand on end. They said, if you don't execute this man, you are no friend of Caesar's. Because he claims to be a king. How would you like him to stage a little revolution? How do you think that would look between you and Caesar? How do you think it would look if we sent messengers to Caesar to tell him all about how there was a revolutionary here that you didn't do anything about? You think Caesar will be happy with you? You think he'll keep you in your place and in your position if we do that? No. As a matter of fact, I know personally other prefects, other governors who've been removed for exactly those kinds of reasons. See, I thought I was in charge. I thought I was in control. But the longer this went on, the more I was starting to realize I wasn't in charge at all. And who is this Jesus talking about some higher power that put me here? As if I was made for this moment. And then, trying to sort out what, what is happening, what's wrong, one of the Jews said, you know the real reason we want him dead? Because he claims he's the son of God. He claims to be the son of our God. I don't know how many times I've been afraid in my life. But see, my anxiety had been growing from the beginning. I'd started off thinking, they want something that I've got, which means that I can get something from them. And now the Jewish leaders have me cornered. What, do, what happens to me if I don't give them what they want? And now Jesus is talking about this higher power, and people are saying things like he claims to be the Son of God. And I start thinking about it, and I realize he's not acting like any other prisoner I've ever had. You know what prisoners do? When you say things to them like, don't you know, I can have you executed? They say things like, please don't do that, only not quite so calmly. They start saying, what can I give you? How can I convince you? They start begging and crying and pleading, and Jesus was doing none of that. Who is this man that I have in front of me? Who is he? And what's going to happen to me in the midst of all of this. <laughs> all my power, Rome, the power of Rome over the people of Judea, and I was impotent. I was caught between Jesus, an innocent man, and a disturbingly calm man. And I was caught between the Jewish leaders between the high priests, and they were whipping the crowd up. The regular people, those are the ones to really be afraid of because those are the ones that end up fighting and, and dying. Those are the black marks on, on, my, on my account. So I did the only thing I could think of. I ran away. I mean, I didn't physically run away. I couldn't do that. I'd give up everything. I'd lose everything. And all of this work I've done in my life, sucking up to the right people, granting favors so that I could get favors in return. 
And now I have to answer to either the Jews who will rat me out to Caesar or to this man Jesus, and I don't know who he is anymore. I ran away. I ran away by saying, it's not my problem. Hey, he's innocent, guys. Is this really what you want? You know what the people started shouting? They started saying things I never thought I would hear Jews say. And he said, yeah, that's what we want. Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. They said, you want me to crucify your king? And then they said it. We have no king but Caesar. And there it was. That's the itch they can scratch for me. If I don't crucify Jesus, I'll get a bad report to Caesar. And that could mean the end of my power, the end of my position, the end of my citizenship, and even the end of my life if it really goes badly enough. I could cave to Jesus. I don't know anything about him other than that he's a very strange man. Or I could give the people what they want and remind them that they've promised their loyalty to Caesar. And I could tell Caesar, do you know what I did for you? These people in Judea who are always angry about something have finally called you their king. And I'm innocent of the whole thing. It's not my fault. They're going to get whatever they want one way or another. (laughs) So I can stand back and just let it happen. And that's what I did. There's only one last thing, really, that I did. See, Jesus, I sent him to be crucified. They did all of the crucifixion things. They tied him to his cross. They nailed him to it because the crowd was angry. They divided up his clothes among themselves. My, My Roman guards did. They hung him on the hill. And I had a sign made up. Because see, you always put the name of the criminal on the cross. And you always put their crime. Because otherwise, how would people know what not to do? Hey, this is the penalty for your crime. Look at this. We don't crucify people in, in clean, sanitary places where no one will see. We do it out in the open so that everyone will know. And I wrote on Jesus' sign, Jesus of Nazareth the king of the Jews. That was the crime they charged him with. And the Jews said, don't don't say that he was our king. Say that he claimed to be our king. I don't know, guys. (laughs) Seems to me you promised your loyalty to Caesar. So let Jesus stand for all that you've given up tonight. You're Caesar's now.
So it's a win for Pilate. I got the Jews to do what I want. I got my good report to Caesar. I got peace where there could have been a riot. And yet those words of Jesus keep coming back. You ever have that experience where during the day you go about doing the things that you always do? And it's fine. You stay busy. And then at night, things slow down. And in the darkness, just you and whatever's out there. And I can't sleep. My kingdom is not of this world, he said. Anyone who's on the side of truth listens to me, he said. I stay up, wondering just what it is I've done. And we know, don't we? We know what Pilate's done. Because we know Jesus. Jesus said something else to Pilate. He said that uh, the people who turn me over to you, I'm going to paraphrase, have the greater sin. But did you notice he didn't say have all the sin? See, it matters what we do in our lives with Jesus. It matters what we do with him. It matters whether or not we honor him with all of our lives or if we just give him little pieces or if we give him none at all. Maybe the most important thing in our lives is not primarily how much bad or how much good that we've done but how we've treated Jesus. Because he's not like other people. Because he is different. Because in the end, he walked around saying that he was the son of God. And you know what? He was pretty compelling when he said it. He didn't do it like Pilate, did he? What will you give me? He did it for the sake of the people who were hurting and the people who were lost. He didn't go around saying, build me a palace. Instead, he talked about how God was preparing dwelling places for his people. He didn't go around saying, give me money. Instead, he said, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Because God does see the difference between good and evil. And one of those he loves and the other he hates. And he said things in the same gospel we've been speaking out of, the gospel of John. Like, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I want to sing a song with you. Uh, 
man of sorrows. Uh, hallelujah, what a savior. And it's one we've sung before. And I think it's pretty well captures something about Good Friday. Yvonne was talking about how Good Friday is the strange blend of wonderful and terrible. Something so amazing happened that it is frightening. It is difficult to contemplate. It's more than we can fully take in. Where the Son of God came not just, not just for the really nice people in the world, but the Son of God came to reason even with Pontius Pilate.